and welcome to Discover Podcasting episode nine. Uh, it's been a while, but we're back on board. Uh, I am your host for this podcast this morning. My name is Rich Yamamoto, and today my co-hosts are Patrick Wilson. Hello. Uh, Robert Taylor. Good morning. And Lyra Thompson. Hello. And today we have a few very special guests. Uh, we have the Teals program uh, from Microsoft who did or who helped with our computer science. Uh, oh, and Aji. Sorry, I forgot to, I forgot to introduce Aji. That's um, okay. We have Aji here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Thanks, Lyra. <laughs> okay. Um, and today we have the Teals program from Microsoft who helped facilitate our computer science class on campus last year. So would you guys go around and introduce yourselves? Sure. Hi, my name is Gustavo Riaga. I'm the South Central Regional Lead for the Microsoft Teals program. I'm really excited to be here talking to you about the, the program and I will pass it to Allison to introduce herself. My name is Allison Hartnett. Um, I am a regional manager with the Teals program based out of Kansas City, and I have been privileged to work with the School for the Blind for um, a little over a year now and working on a pilot in computer science, and I'm so excited because we have several of our volunteers here today. Go ahead and introduce uh, yourselves. Speaking of which, um, I'm Henry Golding, <laughs> and I am one of the volunteers that Allison mentioned. Um, I am a senior software engineer at Microsoft, and I currently work on Minecraft. Hey, uh, I'm Aish. I'm also one of the volunteers uh, for KSSB. Um, I'm a software engineer on the cloud supply chain and engineering team. All right. Well, welcome aboard the podcast. And we're so glad to have you on today. Um, Allison, how did Teals get started in, um, like, what it, what brought around uh, Teals to different schools? Sure. Our, our purpose of Teals is actually to bring computer science to high schools, and um, we have a very successful formula where we bring wonderful volunteers into the classroom and pair them with classroom teachers to help teach computer science. And the idea is, is that there's industry experts in the classroom who can be that content matter, and um, at the same time, then you have um, that classroom teacher who can learn that material and so they can eventually teach it themselves. And so, um, oh, almost a little over a year, um, we started discussions with KSSB and KSSB has a great vision. The idea is, is to have a computer science that is actually at the school and with the idea that it can be beamed to anyone within Kansas. And so anyone within the Kansas you know, state can actually take it. It's an online class. And uh, you know, KSSB has done great things with online classes, specifically like this podcast, I mean, among other online classes, and you can kind of look at their offerings. And so, the, I, so um, we did a pilot last spring um, and some testing in the fall, you know, the previous fall. And this year we're ready for a full year pilot and I'm so excited. Um, our volunteers be have been amazing and working together. The school has been amazing. I've had the privilege of hanging out on campus quite a few times, and I've truly enjoyed my time here. So um, it's been, it's been a, a great experience. But Rich, you were one of the pilot students, so you should tell us what you uh, think the experience was. <laughs> well, I, uh, <laughs> um, I was one of the pilot students. I was, I think, I think my first instructor was Henry. Was it, was it not? I think it was. Um, and it was, it was, it was a very, it was really fun. I, um, I realized after, after doing the pilot that, um, you know, coding, coding is something I'm good at, but it's, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm not, you know, that I, um, it's one of the things I'm good at, but it's, I struggle to stay focused on it but I've really enjoyed my time and I've really been grateful to get the opportunity to, uh, to take this course and, and to, uh, to test, to help test the pilot to, to make sure all the accessibility kinks are uh, out of the way. So it was really fun to, to be part of the pilot program this past year. And I hope that my schedule will let me be a part of the full year program. Yeah, that's cool. So 
How exactly did you guys find KSSB then, specifically? I think KSSB found us. So we actually, um, a friend of someone who works at the school um, heard a talk in Oregon and they um, told um, a person at the school and said, hey, I think that you would love this program. And so we started talking about a way to do an introduction, an introduction, an intro computer science course for the school. So, okay. Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. Um, how did you guys get started in programming? I guess. Would, um, oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead, Austin. I'm going to say that that's really more Henry and Aish. My background is uh, physics. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool, though. I mean, that's one more thing I didn't know. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you cool. all the time. Um, so, so yeah, I, I can um, jump in on that one. Um, for myself, I, I got into programming because um, I, my sort of first career was as a paralegal, um, which involves a lot of boring paperwork and doing the same thing over and over again. Um, and I kind of taught myself a little bit um, to code in uh, Visual, Visual Basic um, to automate a bunch of the stuff that I had to do as part of my job. Um, but I, wouldn't, I wasn't really, you know, didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but I would stay up late trying to figure out how to automate my job. Um, and then eventually I decided that wasn't for me and I went to um, university specifically for a computer games programming degree. Um, and so from, from that, that's where I kind of learned programming properly um, and learned C++, which is a language that is very useful to know if you want to work in the games industry. Um, and then kind of went from there. All right. That's cool. Aish, how did you get into programming? I can jump in on this as well. Um, so both my parents are software engineers. Uh, they have been for a very long time. Um, so when I was like filling out college applications and trying to figure out like what I wanted to do, uh, I tried as hard as I possibly could to not go into computer science. Oh. So. <laughs> I tried business, um, I tried English, which was not my strong suit. Uh, I was like, maybe I can do medicine. Um, psychology could be interesting, but uh, at the end of it, like I took a CS class in school and I ended up really liking it and eventually um, just really enjoyed problem solving, really enjoyed like the variety of things that I would be able to do with a career um, and just be able to experience like different industries and be able to apply what I learned um, pretty much anywhere that I wanted to. So, well, we're glad that you chose computer science because you're here. <laughs> exactly. um, I, I how do you guys, Oh, go ahead, Ozzy. How do you guys pick volunteers for schools? So um, I'll take this one. You know, um, we have tons of people who volunteer um, and, and want to be part of it. And so there's a couple of criteria. First of all, you have to be an expert in computer science. Otherwise, expert? Does well, that mean like a four-year degree? And Not necessarily, but you, okay. but you need to know enough computer science so that when we pair you with a classroom teacher, you're the expert and not the other way around. Okay. Ooh. So, uh, you know, if you don't have <laughs> a four-year degree, you need to be working in industry or, or something along those lines. Um, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a full-year degree. Just um, doing it professionally. Doing it professionally right. is pretty much okay. our, our kind of low bar. And also, we, you know, in our interview, we actually ask some questions to okay. see whether or not you actually do understand computer science. Um, just just to kind of make sure. The other thing, but I mean, you know, besides that kind of obvious criteria, we're looking for passionate individuals. Um, to be a TEALS volunteer, you know, you end up doing quite a few number of hours just volunteering because you're in the classroom two to three times a week, you're preparing lessons, you do training over the summer. And so we want to make sure that our volunteers actually are willing to take the time to do that, um, but also that they want they want to advance something. And then, you know, for Kansas School for the Blind, you know, we were very honest with our volunteers that this is a pilot. We're not sure where we're going, um, but we really felt that it was, you know, um, an exciting prospect. And so, you know, um, our volunteers may have, you know, put in a little bit more time than our average SEALs volunteers, but they they are extraordinary people, um, and they did some great some great work. I thought I can vouch for that. Yeah, I have a yeah. question. Go ahead. Um. 
what general advice do you have just for like, so I've been like right now coding is a hobby that I have and uh, I've made like some programs on, you probably heard of a website called Scratch. Uh, and I've also like got a website that's kind of just random stuff. But what general advice do you have for like making it as a, having it as a possible future career? Volunteers, I, do you want to take this I, one? Yeah, I, I can definitely. Sorry, I was having, having trouble unmuting myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it's a great question, and I think it very much depends on the individual. You know, there's no one uh, prescribed route. I think probably the most common route um, would be to, you know, to get be trained um, in computer science, um, and having a degree will sort of set you up. Kind of like uh, Aisha was saying, gives you a lot of options, um, and you can kind of choose your path uh, as as you go. So that initial period of training, um, while it may be kind of standardized, um, once you have those skills, you're then able to take a very wide range of different paths. Um, okay, so do you need to get continuing training then once you get the basics? You know, it's a really interesting question. There are industries where you have to do mandatory continuous training. Um, ours is not one of those, but I okay. think I've never met anyone in our industry who doesn't just do that themselves. You know, okay. people are pretty passionate and just will, you know, undertake training. People want to know what's going on and watch videos and go to conferences. Um, so there's, there's a lot of um, new things to learn. And you can also go really deep in one area um, or you can go broad in a lot of areas. Um, so I prefer to go a bit broader. So uh, like I, I don't work with web technology, but I like to try and keep up with what's happening in those areas just to give a bit broader experience. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if that really answers the question. There's, 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 there's a lot of options. And I guess maybe the first thing, the advice would be um, maybe start trying to learn about the various different um, areas um, and what takes your interest the most. Um, and also bear in mind that the, those areas may be radically different you know, five or 10 years from now. Right. Do you yeah. think le learning one language, um, one programming language, makes it easier to grasp the concepts of other languages? Oh boy, that's a great question. I'm totally want to jump in on this. Sorry, Aisha, if you have stuff to say, please, please speak up. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think the question of language is really interesting. Um, Especially now, I think most languages are sort of converging on a fairly you know, common set of features. Um, and, yeah, and there are you know, institutions that deliberately teach uh, obscure languages like Scheme, um, just purely to teach the kind of computer science fundamentals. Um, I personally chose a degree course that focused heavily on C++ because I knew that C++ was quite uncommonly taught and was essential for the industry that I wanted to get into. Um, so I think if there are constraints like that, it's important to know what do people use in the segment of the industry that you want to get into. Um, okay. The other thing I would say is that there are, in my opinion, categories of language um, that are harder to learn. Um, so for example, JavaScript, is a language that you know pretty easy to learn, and C is a language that is harder to learn you know, potentially. But languages like C and C++ give you direct access to manipulating memory. So in languages that don't have that feature, if you only know those languages, then you're unable to transfer easily to a language that does have that you know, harder concepts. And does Teals teach you these languages? Um, in Teals, we teach, well, I think it depends on the, the school, but we've been teaching Java. Um, and I believe that's because that's what the um, AP syllabus requires. Okay. Um, and Java is a very fine language to, to learn. Um, uh, I, it's very similar to a lot of other languages like C Sharp. And really, if you, you know, for most practical purposes, day to day, you can transfer pretty easily between languages. And I would I'd recommend always having a broad exposure. You know, if, if you only know one, then probably that's not quite, uh, yeah, if you know more than one, you're going to be in a better position to jump to others. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, coding is kind of one of my hobbies too. I mean, like heck, Rich would know probably, but yeah, uh, to get him away from his computer to hang out with people. Yes, you can sometimes. <laughs> I just Not have to bring it out there and demonstrate one of my scripts that publicly. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, I'm kind of learning like two languages. I'm learning like a very kind of not sort of newbie blindy specific language from my computer science fundamentals and I'm learning Python to practice those. So it's, I, don't, I guess in a sense, um, like I made my first program I wrote and um, the other one I use in Python just to see what it was like. Uh, just a cross, now cross platform password generator for myself, which is kind of cool, but yeah. Yeah, that is really cool. I think it's great to try out different languages because you know, those concepts that you learn in one language, once you see them in another language, then it's easier to see them in other languages that you come across. And yeah. I think in, you know, generally in, in the working environment, you know, most people are able to, you know, kind of expected that you're able to sort of hit the ground running with a new language fairly swiftly. Yeah, and just to find new languages and stuff, I usually just go run through GitHub and find repositories and look at their code and stuff just to see how things work. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was really vocal on that. I didn't. Ice, did you have anything to add? Um, I totally agree with what you said. Um, and I think definitely, uh, while I was learning, and while I'm still learning, uh, my previous experience with other programming languages has definitely helped me learn new ones a little bit quicker. Um, and it's easier to apply concepts. Okay. Since we're on the topic of like coding languages, uh, for me personally, I my best language that I know the most of is HTML, which is technically like I know it's technically a markup language and not actually a coding language, but uh, I mostly have used that. But then I find it hard. Like I know a bit of JavaScript, and I've been trying to learn others. Like I've downloaded a bunch of apps from my phone that teach you like Python or Swift. But I'm finding it hard to just like have motivation to do those since I already like know most of HTML. Yeah. Even though I know that they're like necessary, I'm just finding it hard. Yeah, I don't really. Knowing JavaScript. Yeah, okay. I don't necessarily consider myself like I know HTML, obviously. You know, I do know most HTML. I know. You know I, I just didn't consider that in my little speech earlier because I don't know. Okay. I think um, it's it's important when you are look, you know, generally, well, personally, I'll, I'll say personally, I don't really be like, oh, I would just want to know more about a language. You know, usually you'll come across them in the context of learning something new or how to do something new. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, I want to learn how to you know put up a website. You know, and, you know so then I, okay, maybe I know some. I do a tutorial on it, and in doing that, I encounter um, Node.js. Um, so since we're sorry sorry yeah so you know just i guess followed by following your interests is the thing kind of things you'd like to do you may encounter um new languages and that might be a way into it where you'd get motivation to kind of keep exploring it rather than just like kind of academically oh what, what is the language about so we know that coding is definitely complex um it takes time to learn how is microsoft specifically making coding accessible for the blind That is a great question. I wish that we had Matt here. Um, yeah. Matt actually works um, as a Microsoft employee. He was one of the volunteers. Um, and he works on the Windows accessibility team. So he's very um, intimately familiar with Microsoft's accessibility efforts. Um, speaking for myself as a, as a games person, um, our interfaces are not quite the same as a lot of the other more standardized ones where most of the effort is going into because there's more impact. Um, but I think we we do have a good, uh, well, I don't know if I would, I shouldn't say good because I'm not really qualified to judge it, but I know that we do have a lot of guidance um, internally and I think that we publish externally around accessibility standards and we have things that are accessibility checkers. Um, so it's it's a good, um, I don't know, I, and I it helps like so you've got the people piloting. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. Something, so, something that's on, on, on people's minds. Yeah. I, th I think accessibility is, a, is, a, is an important uh, aspect of everyday life, not only for someone with, with a disability, but 
but just for for anybody who who needs to access something on on a more complex level in an easier way uh the way teal's made made this class more accessible is a lot of uh testing mainly we, we tested different coding environments and we tested to see if we could make it cross-platform or not and we found that we we could only use it on pc so i had to get rid of my mac for an hour which was sad and um you know didn't even work with boot camp touch bar <laughs> so we uh you know it, it just took a lot of patience and and oh now we have matt campbell hello i'm sorry i i completely forgot about the podcast oh no it's fine it's fine we uh we were just asked a question about how is microsoft making uh m making programs more accessible for um i guess the the pc it wasn't really specified but how is microsoft making things more accessible sure so um so uh hi everyone uh i'm matt campbell and um again i'm sorry i'm late for the podcast i don't know if you're gonna edit around that or just leave that as it is but um, so I am a developer on the Windows accessibility team, and we work on Narrator, Magnifier, and other assistive technologies and Windows accessibility features, as well as the, the basically the accessibility framework of the Windows, of, of Windows itself, which is called UI automation. And UI automation is basically the interface that programmers of applications use to make their apps accessible. So we have been doing a lot of work on Narrator uh, for the past few years to make it a uh, to make it a much better uh, screen reader that you can use for the, the most common things that you do in Windows, such as browsing the web, doing email, um, you know, working on documents in programs like Word, um, and that kind of thing. And um, not, we have not only been making Narrator work better with Microsoft programs, but also with other web browsers, uh, specifically Chrome and Firefox, Ooh. and other applications that use the same underlying technology as those browsers, such as, say, Visual Studio Code or Skype or Microsoft Teams. Yeah, and I use VS Code for when I make like websites and stuff. So that's been nice. pretty useful. I yeah, have like, uh, sorry. I have like my dad has a job as a like coder he basically fixes people's codes and so he is like the reason I have an interest in coding that's great yeah um I was gonna say something but oh um I've kind of experimented with narrator over the past few years and I must say like narrate I use NVDA primarily but I'm kind of you know impressed with like the how much it's improved um, over the past few years, especially from like like Windows Seven to now. Like, there's a huge difference in how it works. And oh like, yeah, that it works. It worked a lot better now. Um, it, if it says anything, I I made an eight year old ranty video on my phone about how bad Narrator was <laughs> when I was on a Dell from two thousand six running Windows Seven. But uh, <laughs> yes, yes, like Narrator is basically do. a whole different program now than oh, it yeah. was. Oh it, yeah, it, it was to it's been totally revamped. So we asked earlier um, a question about what what got uh, Aish and Henry into coding. So what what got you into coding, Matt? Right. So um, I uh, so my I'm 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 almost forty years old. So just just to to let you know what generation I'm from, <laughs> and my family's first computer in the late 80s was an Apple II GS. And, um, and, and this is, you know, the, the Apple II line of computers was basically what Apple did before the Macintosh. It used to be their, their real moneymaker and, and it was especially popular in, in schools. The, uh, the, 
the public schools that I attended for a while had Apple IIe computers in the classroom. And so um, I need to mention, by the way, that, that uh, I am low vision, but, uh, but not totally blind. So like I can read a computer screen up close. So like I said, my family's first computer was the Apple II GS and my uncle Eric was a hobbyist, uh, was, was, was a hobbyist programmer. Like you know, he, he did programming for fun and, and also he was a high school teacher. So I think he taught some programming in his high school computer classes for a while, but he never did it professionally. But um, he, uh, so, a couple of things got me into coding. Um, so Uncle Eric used to get, give us uh, discs full of games for the, the Apple II computer. This, this was back when computers didn't necessarily have hard drives. You had to put in a floppy disk and you know, boot your computer off of that disk. And if you wanted to switch programs, you had to switch disks. But anyway, um, we had these disks that had yeah, that, that had multiple games on them. And when you booted up the disc, it would boot into a menu with, with all of the games that were on the disc. And the last program on the menu was the program to edit the menu itself. And I remember one time when I went into this menu editor and I just you know, made up a name of, a, of something that I wanted to add to a menu. And one of my parents explained, no, you can't do that. You would have to actually uh, program the game. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I want to learn to program. Um, and and th there was another there was another story I vaguely remember about my uncle Eric that that I think sparked my interest in programming. So these Apple II computers, they had the basic programming language built in to the the ROM, the read-only memory of the computer itself. Um, and and so there were a lot of programs were written in basic now a lot of the i mean the basically all of the more visually flashy games were not written in basic because it was too slow for that but there's still a lot of fun games written in basic and i remember one of these game discs that my uncle eric gave us had oh some kind of game that involved shapes crudely rendered in in basically ascii art um which uh is basically you know, using you know, placing text characters in such a way that they form shapes visually. And uh, he had, I don't know if he wrote this game or if he just modified it, but the, the shapes had his kids' names on them. And then I think he, I don't remember this for sure because it happened when I was like seven, but I think he actually you know, broke out of the game and into the basic prompt. And, and I think he modified it so that the shapes had my and my brothers and sisters names on them. And, and so I was like, that's cool that you can do that. <laughs> um, and so the, uh, the, the, our computer came with, and sorry if this is way too long winded, but our computer came with a disk that, so this was back when computers in the home were still fairly new, and so you had to teach people how to use them. So our computer came with a disk that taught you how to use the mouse, how to use the keyboard, what's a word processor, what are disks, et cetera. And the last lesson on the disk was intro to programming. And so I went through that lesson and just went, you know, sailed right through it and then asked my uncle Eric to teach me more. And then later when I was a teenager, I got online and I learned more about programming uh, there. And then um, by the time I finally got to take a programming class in high school, I already knew the concepts of programming. I was just <laughs> taking the class because well, why not spend an hour doing my favorite, uh, an hour of my school day doing my favorite thing in the world? There you go. Yeah, I got exactly. a comment that's sure. kind of, um, so like you were saying that that was when computers were fairly new and uh -huh. it kind of makes me think, made me think about how like people my age, so like middle schoolers and high schoolers, we are growing up and like, I 
huge technological age where it's like a major part of everyday life. And so yeah, you've never known life that, without it. Oh yeah, yeah. And we kind of get that coding experience early on. Like for me, me, for example, I first really like kind of got the basics of coding when I was in third grade, when my elementary school gifted teacher had us go on Khan Academy and code.org. And nice. that was like what started, like if, if it wasn't for that, that probably wouldn't have sparked my interest in computer programming as much as it is now, oh, yeah. having that experience in school. Oh yeah. Code Org is the reason I don't know about CSS because I was trying to figure it out and I really couldn't. <laughs> but I did make a random test website, which worked okay, but you, I literally had to like, the way the text fields were set out, I literally had to copy into Notepad right there and then copy back into Code Org because it was that inaccessible. Like the yes, editing. unfortunately, um, some of some of these coding sites use, in, in particular, there's there, there's one open source code editor project called Code Mirror that they're working on accessibility in the the rewrite of in Code Mirror version six but it's not quite ready yet. So I am probably the only person in this room that has no experience at all with computer science and coding. Um, so how could I get involved with Teals or at least learn some coding in an accessible format? So um, Teals, <clears throat> my understanding is that Teals is going to be uh, helping teach another computer science class at KSSB starting this fall um, okay. so if you're if you're attending the kansas state school for the blind then um then that would be uh that that then 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 by all means uh join that class if you can but for the the wider listening audience um so there's a there's a well you guys have already mentioned a couple of things Khan academy kh khanacademy.org. Um, they have uh, lessons for, uh, you know, they, they, they have a whole curriculum for learning to program using JavaScript. Yeah. Khan Academy uh, is basically how I learned HTML, was those oh, yeah. courses. Nice. And, and can any of you tell me, tell, tell us here how accessible that, that whole curriculum is? Because I don't know, and probably well, our listeners don't either. Well, the Khan Academy uh, videos have they they have I guess subtitles or like the like uh, like the the subtitles that can that will display on the screen if you can't if you have a hearing impairment and right. I know at least on the Mac voiceover reads those as well. Okay, sure, but do they have audio description or 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 so. no. provide accessible versions of what of the whatever they're showing no. on the screen? I'm not but usually the people doing the videos are pretty are fairly descriptive about they yeah. say like you want to type this in and it'll make this happen and they're pretty descriptive yeah. now there's another resource that i'd like to mention that is made uh with it, it, it's it's not just for blind people or blind students but the, the the developers have paid special attention to accessibility and um this this is kind of a divisive a bit of a divisive topic among among blind programmers because it's it's a it's a programming language. Um, have have any of you heard of the Quorum programming oh, language? Yeah, I was supposed yeah. to look into that and I forgot. No, I've never about heard it. of that. It's yeah, cool. so Q U O R U M. It's like I said. It was so it's it's not just for blind programmers. Don't so don't think of this as a blind only programming language. But the story behind it is that this. PhD student, now a professor, uh, Andreas Stefik. Um, somehow he had you know, come across the, uh, he, somehow he had learned about some of the challenges that blind programmers face and that blind students face learning to program. And, and that kind of intersected with his interest in programming languages and how to design a programming language. Um, he calls it uh, an evidence-oriented programming language, meaning that he can he and his team conduct experiments using the actual scientific method. Imagine that. 
to uh, wow. to 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 determine which programming constructs and thank you, Mr. Taylor, uh, for throwing that in the chat. Um, and so they conduct experiments to to find out which which pro which syntax and which programming language features actually work and are easy to learn. And I have had some involvement with this project um, during the Microsoft company-wide hackathon last year. Um, I had the pleasure of helping the Quorum team with their implementation of uh, UI automation. If you recall, that's basically the Windows accessibility framework. And okay. so they now have a, their own integrated development environment, IDE, uh, called Quorum Studio that is fully accessible. Um, so they've got a language, an IDE, and a curriculum. They took the code.org uh, curriculum and adapted it, the, the, the code.org computer science principles curriculum, and adapted it to use the Quorum language. And they, they, made, they made sure that all the materials were, are accessible. So, quorumlanguage.com. Cool. And even if you don't use, even, I mean, even if you don't use Quorum to develop real applications, and you, you probably won't ever be able to get a job using it, um, it, it is a way to help you, it is a way to help you learn the concepts in a fully accessible way. Right. It, that, that does look pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I was meaning to check that out a long time ago. Yeah, me as well. I just never ended up getting around to it. It's, I just it's, like checked the website briefly while we were doing this, and it on the home, even just from the homepage, it sounds interesting. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, they they released the first version of Quorum Studio uh, last this past winter, I want to say, and that that is a that is a substantial upgrade in the experience because what they what they had before um you know, before quorum studio they they took the netbeans java development environment and did a, a basically a self-voicing add-on for it to to make it kind of sort of accessible but okay. now with quorum studio um it works with your with your existing screen reader at least oh, at least with I mean, any I, screen I think, reader well I think they do most of their testing with NVDA, um, okay. but they have done some testing with JAWS as well. I, I, they, they, they told me that they ran into some limitations with JAWS, but certainly it'll work great with NVDA. And um, I don't know how, I'm not sure how much testing they do with Narrator. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, still, I still occasionally keep in touch with them, but uh, um, I, I don't, I mean, I don't. Uh, I don't know a lot about how they how they test their screen reader support now. Okay. So I want to go back to the teals um, to the to the uh, teals um, volunteers for a second. Um, did you guys enjoy your experience uh, helping out at KSSB this past year? So I, I can jump in, but just before I wanted to quickly call back to something you had asked earlier um, about um, how to stay kind of engaged and interested in that learning process. I was thinking of another learning resource, um, Free Code Camp, um, and there's a whole family of this kind of thing where they have these sort of little lessons and you type stuff in and it gives you that immediate feedback. I, I haven't actually used Khan Academy, I don't know if that's the same. But Matt, you were talking about um, your experience with games growing up, and I had a similar experience. Uh, the Commodore 64, um, which you had to like, kind of program at least some basic to get it to do anything. Um, and at school, we had these early PCs, and uh, they had another flavor of basic. And we used to, like me and my friends, used to write little text adventures, like really bad text adventures that were just like, <laughs> really linear. Um, but just and, and then also, like with QBasic, you could type play and then put a series of like notes after it, and so you could kind of make it kind of make a sound. So it was just, I was just thinking about it. it seemed like there's a common theme around what keeps you engaged with that learning process is the sort of immediate feedback and things that you enjoy. Right. Yes, that, immediate feedback a, was, yeah. was, was, real, was, is a, was a really important feature, I think, of BASIC because yeah. you could type in a line of code and have it run immediately. 
Yeah, and there's a thing I was playing with um, last year called Sonic Pi, um, which is a um, it's a, envi a programming environment and language for well, I think it uses Ruby as the language. Um, yeah, but it's an environment. It's intended to run on a Raspberry Pi, hence the name. But you can run it on a PC, um, and it just is music generation. So for those who have an interest in sound and music, um, that could be an interesting. I'm at. not sure if the Sonic Pi GUI is accessible. I'll have to check on I am, that. I'm not sure either. Who knows? I'm, I'm kind. This is kind of why I like the CLI more, because like CLIs are almost always accessible because you're the one typing commands and you can read output from just text. Like it's just that easy. I don't know right, I mean. and it's it's a standard console window across yeah. all command line interface uh, yeah. programs. That's why I enjoy like Git. That's why I enjoy Python. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, it's interesting as well that we wrap a lot of things in GUIs that really don't necessarily need to be wrapped in GUIs. So anyway, I um, sorry, I totally derailed your question, Rich. It's fine. <laughs> you asked an actual question, and I'm like, let's talk about something else. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Don't worry, we're all good. So uh, I guess I can ask again. Yeah, please do. Um, did you guys enjoy your experience uh, working with KSSB as part of uh, doing this computer science uh, course this past year? I know I certainly enjoyed taking it. Yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it personally. Um, it was my first experience with Teals. Um, I had um, volunteered with a local high school um, the year before, um, but it wasn't anything like the level of engagement that Teals requires um, in terms of time commitment. So I was kind of a bit uh, hesitant, you know, just to, can, I, can I fit this in? You know, is this something that I can actually do? Um, but I, w I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I really appreciated um, the engagement from from you, Rich, and the other students, um, and the, um, the all the other volunteers as well. I think everyone was just really engaged and passionate to to make it work and make it a good experience. Um, and I also learned a, a lot um, about accessibility. Um, so it was it was a hugely beneficial experience uh, for me personally. Cool. Yeah, I can jump so, in. Oh, hold on. I, oh, I, I also really enjoyed my experience with Teals. Um, it was really great to like try to pilot this program. Um, and I, I hope that we helped you guys learn a little bit more about programming than what you already knew. Oh, yeah. It was great. I had so much fun. Yes, I also enjoyed it. It was it was challenging, but uh, but rewarding. Oh yeah. Do you have any memories in particular that you would like to share? <laughs> I coded a Rocket Man program. Yeah, one of the one of the things that we did um, just to to introduce some of the basics of how to structure a program was we had the students write a program that would print out the uh, the lyrics of their favorite song and and we we would show them how since since song lyrics break down into like verse 1 chorus verse 2 chorus bridge chorus something like that um we we showed them how to um how to divide the program into separate methods for printing the verses, the chorus, and the bridge, and then how to how to call those methods in the main program. And one of the interesting parts about that particular exercise was, um, so a lot of the exercises in the textbook and the practice problems for covering this concept were were oriented around uh, drawing pictures using ASCII art, basically you know, <laughs> combining characters to form particular shapes, as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> and of course, um, ASCII art wasn't going to be a meaningful thing for for uh, blind students. So we decided, and and there there were a there were a couple of exercises that used song lyrics, but we we decided to focus more on that because that was that was something that uh, that could uh, it, that that was more relatable. One of the other things we were we were I was coding a a thing 
uh, Pokeball from the Pokemon uh, games. And I thought at the time that I had to type each character in one by one into the print statements. And it took me forever to get this project done because I, I didn't know, like I, I, for some reason, didn't it didn't catch me that I could just copy and paste and be fine. <laughs> Yes, so because the point was to teach you how to write the code um, right. and, and how to incorporate those bits of ASCII art into the code. We, we yeah, that had a lot of funky characters in it, didn't it? How did you find all yeah. those on the keyboard, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, well, Henry, you might be thinking about the fish and water problem that we that oh, I we think about that, po that, that Pokeball ASCII art, wasn't it? It was uh, yeah, the Pokeball with the crazy characters. Yeah, there's some crazy characters that I uh, I just knew from from past math expressions and some other things where those characters were. <laughs> so I just typed them in one by one. Um, I can share. It's not a moment from the class, but it's a moment from the Teals experience. Um, so if, as Teals volunteers, we have to do a certain amount of training. Um, and there was a, was a big event organized, you know, sort of a few hundred people. Um, that was uh, the first, and I guess only time that I have met Matt in, in person. And so we, right. we, took, we took that training together. And it was very instructive for me um, to be kind of sitting next to Matt in this training, which was not at all um, considerate of anyone who might not be able to see things. Um, you know, even from tiny things like people saying, if you need the bathrooms, they're over there, uh, to, you know, a lot of the, the material was highly visually engaging. Uh-oh. Sense. Hey, Henry, you're distorting really badly. Something happened to your audio. Uh-oh. Uh <laughs> I, I think we lost time. Henry, guys. Well, someone's <laughs> having driver issues. <laughs> well, for our listeners, he just sent oops in the chat. Uh, um, uh -huh. So I'm not a Teals volunteer, but can I share my favorite moment from the class? Yeah. It was the very last day, and um, you guys were you know, doing kind of like a celebration program. And so basically, oh, yeah. you found... You want to you want to share it, Rich? Go ahead. Yeah, the fireworks. We coded we coded a program that that played fire a sequence of fireworks sounds. Well, actually, Matt did the grunt work, and then we just we just wrote the we just inserted the sound files. But we 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 made a sequence of firework uh, sounds, and 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 uh, and basically created this finale that we could uh, celebrate with. And then that's when I mentioned getting everybody on the podcast. Now that is cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, to be specific, I I wrote the routine to play an individual sound effect because there there was no way that they could do that with the uh, relatively small set of concepts that we were able to teach. So I wrote the routine that played an individual sound effect and I pointed them at a collection of sound effects online that I had found. And, and uh, they wrote the program to play uh, sound effects in sequence. So it was just a little fun thing to, to finish off the year because, you know, all, all the grades were done. We had just finished the, the, the big final project. And we just wanted to celebrate the end of the year while, while still applying some of what they had learned. Yeah, and that, um, that's, I'm excited now for this class next year. I can be a part of it. Oh, yeah. So where do you see Teals going in the future? Like in the next five, 10 years? Gustavo? <laughs> <laughs> so Teals, I mean, we're gonna continue supporting, you know, computer science education in high schools. Um, I think this, this first year of the pilot at KSSB was really um, encouraging. And we would love to see this be a springboard for helping other schools and other students um, that could benefit from all the great work that um, Allison is the regional manager and all of the great volunteers have been doing to adapt the curricula um, to make it more accessible, right? So 
But 10 years is a long way to crystal ball, but (laughs) (laughs) um, five years, maybe we could see Teal's um, supporting more schools uh, with students that that need that access to um, a more accessible curriculum. Um, So, you know, I would would love to see this become a, a, you know, again, a springboard. Um, A lot of that, I'm sure there's demand. I'm sure there's so many other students who are you know, eager to learn computer science, already learning computer science you know, with the resources that are available and you know, making that available to more students is, is I think doable in the, in a, with the five-year horizon. Um, that of course requires more awesome volunteers. So the more that we can do to you know, tell the KSSB story, yeah. encourage students to want to learn computer science and encourage volunteers to want to help them learn computer science, I think the, the more realistic that five-year horizon is for um, spreading the curriculum, the, the accessible curriculum in the TEALS model to other schools. And if someone wants to volunteer, who do they contact? Allison! Or they can go to tealsk12.org and there's, there's, a, there's an online application form uh, that they can fill out. Yes. Right. Yeah. If they if they want to volunteer for KSSB, um, then then Allison would be the person to contact. But if they are just looking for information in general, um, they can visit us on our website and get more information there and get a link to the application, the volunteer application. And the, right. the yeah the address is now Microsoft.com/teals. Oh, and I will sorry. say on I will <laughs> say on our website there is a contact form. So you know if you want to get in touch with me, fill out that contact form, and we can make sure that you know you do get in touch with me. But in all honesty, um, you know we have volunteers who are in lots of different schools all around the country in British Columbia, um, doing great work not just at the School for the Blind. We have we have amazing volunteers, and you know if we had several more podcasts, I could tell you all the great stories that I hear from you know all the volunteers going not just School for the Blind, um, but School for the Blind has been one of my passion projects and I have been so pleased with the results. Um, and right. personally, one of, one of the things that I want to see um, TEALS or similar organizations do is work on make, you know, providing uh, an accessible curriculum, not just for students attending a, a, a School for the Blind, but for blind students in mainstream schools, because that's where yes. a lot of blind students oh, yeah. are these days. That would be absolutely awesome. That that's yeah, going to be our next project, guys. Because I don't go to KSSB during the school year. I only do it for summer, and I'm like right. the only visually impaired person in my school. So, I know how that is. <laughs> so I will say that. Um, we actually, this fall, our pilot program is actually later in the day, in the afternoon. Oh, so yes! After yeah! With the, yeah! With the, mainly because we've heard that there were students who wanted to take it and they were unable to. And so this crop of volunteers um, actually is, is all set for an afternoon class. And I'm so, I'm so thrilled um, with bet. the idea that um, we really feel that we can open this up to many more students across the state of Kansas um, who... Would, would care to take this class so if you're interested contact i'm KFC. so excited now <laughs> me too well unfortunately i'm getting word from our our podcast instructor that we're running low on time um but um one quick question i have before we close um so matt since henry was mentioned talking about the the uh, training um what how because it was very visual, how did that affect, um, how did that affect the way you uh, were able to get information? Did Henry like describe what was going on for you or, or how did that work? Um, yes, Henry, uh, Henry, dis- I mean, Henry described what was going on the, as best he could. Uh, really the more frustrating part was not not the information I missed, but the activities that I flat out couldn't participate in. Um, as it turned out, though, a lot of what we learned, a, a lot of what they covered 
in that training didn't really apply so much to our unique situation being an all remote and not not just us volunteers attending a classroom remotely but all of this everyone being remote in right. a virtual classroom an all remote class of of blind students and mm -hmm. a small one at that um so what we what we found was that a lot of what they covered in the in the, the training session was not all that relevant, but it was it was frustrating while it was happening because I'm I mean I'm not used to go you know when going through a typical workday I'm not used to feeling the limitations of my uh, visual impairment and and being reminded of them that that uh, often throughout the day as ah, Henry mentioned in the chat that uh, this time the KS that the Teals volunteers for KSSB are going to be going through a, a training session tailored just for them. Um, uh, but uh, yes. I, I uh, anyway, I Henry and I um, well, so after after the training session, to to the credit of the Teals uh, staff, um, one of the uh, one of the staff members um, uh, reached out to me and Henry to ask for feedback because they were aware that the training had not been fully accessible to me. And so, and so we mm. we gave our feedback and 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 they were they were appreciative and um, I guess we'll. We'll see what they what they end up doing about that, but uh, I mean they 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 were certain. I mean they certainly tried to include me. It was just that uh, <clears throat> they 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 didn't know what they needed to do about the training about to to, to make the training accessible. And it was a it they 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 packed a lot into it into a day, and it was like Henry said, a room full of lots of people. So um, there, there was... Okay, can you, is this working now? Can yes, you it is. Yeah. Welcome hey, back. Yeah. Welcome back. I, I just unplugged my headphones. Um, yeah, anyway, um, and Alison, thanks for your support on um, you know, setting up a different training this time. Um, and, the, and honestly, the reason I mentioned it was because uh, as someone who, you know, who, who can see and had, had not, um, I, I could kind of totally see where they were coming from in that they, you just don't think about it unless you have a reason to and so I'm grateful to have had a reason to um, and then now to be to understand that there is something that is just you know you need, you need to kind of consciously work on to think about may I ask another question um, sure. the the AP exam for CompSci is that like a standard AP exam or do you have to do something specially tailored for it well, we didn't take it this year. So um, this particular class that is that is based off of Computer Science A, and I mean, you know, since this is a pilot, I can't promise how far we'll get next year. Um, you know, whether or not we'll get to the point of taking the exam or not, or maybe you know, in future years, kind of how that will go. Um, just because we haven't done it before, we're trailblazers. Um, but in general, it is a test that has like multiple choice questions and then some free response questions where you have like text and then you're then you kind of like write out some code. Um, so okay. I would assume that you could easily adapt it um, to blind visually impaired students. Um, however, you know, that's not something that I've done. I'm, I'm almost positive that the College Board has done this for for other students um, just because they have a wide variety of, of you know, exams. So, um, but yes, I would imagine that you definitely could do that. Okay. Thanks. Cool. All right. Well, thank you all so very much for joining the podcast today. Um, thank you, Matt, Aish, Henry, Allison, and how do you pronounce that? Gustavus? Gustavo. Yeah, close. Oh, oh Gustavus. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't I'll get it. it. No worries. Um, well, thank you all very much for joining the podcast today. Um, I hope that in in the two semesters that I got to work with with uh, Henry, Aish, Matt, and Evan, that I was able to to um, um, give some insight on what it's what it's like to be visually impaired 
Um, and I hope that, you know, I hope that I will be able to join the class again next year. But thank you guys for, for of joining. Of course, Say you what? gave me okay. insight on what it's like to be a beginning programming student as well. So. Oh, that's true. And trying to do it from a Mac, which didn't work very well at first. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine that because I kind of, I it tried didn't it. Work. <laughs> it didn't work. But um, I, any closing remarks from any, any of the volunteers or Allison? Any, any last things to say? You know, I, I um, one of the things that I got to do with the pilot is I got to be on campus a lot, and I've missed being on campus. So thank you so much for for allowing me to kind of hang out with you guys again because you guys are wonderful students. Oh, um, yeah, and, no problem. You know, this is a great program. Thank you so much for helping out, um, and I have amazing volunteers who. Uh, so thank you so much, Mr. Taylor, Mr. Christian. Any closing remarks from the KSSB staff? No, I just uh, speaking for the person who's behind the uh, faculty person for this. You guys have done a great job. Uh, the guests and also you students have done a wonderful job making this thing a real professional podcast. Thank you. Thanks. I, uh, so I think that concludes this uh, this uh, ninth episode. Next week we'll be on episode ten. So that's that's exciting. Yeah. Um, um if you want to follow us on our socials, we have Facebook. We're well, not Facebook yet. Whoops. Uh, we have a Twitter and an we have Instagram a Twitter and an Instagram. It's at KSSB Podcast over there. So you guys can follow us or and like if you have any questions, feel free to send us like a DM or something. We'll get you know, we'll respond whenever we can. Right. Uh, Absolutely. And we will follow you back immediately for the most part. If we see that you've followed, we fo we'll follow back immediately. That's kind of a plus to having like the account on like four different devices each or something. Yeah. <laughs> all yeah. right. Well, thank you all for joining. And um, to our listeners, we will see you in another podcast. And to our Teals community, I hope we'll see you next year. All right.